Hi, I'm Leah Potter. I'm Meredith Roten, and we are two news editors at the DW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast from the second oldest newspaper in D.C., covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and DW's campus. This week, reporter Lizzie Mintz was working on a story about the Vex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about what I've been researching and learning this past week. Yeah, of course. So what's going on with the Vex? Yeah, so an announcement was made by the university on March 29th that the current um, Mount Vernon Express shuttle would be receiving a new transportation company sort of heading the shuttles. So currently, International Limousine Service is the transportation service that operates these shuttles. And the announcement that the university made on March 29th said that on July 1st, a new company called RMA Worldwide Chauffeured Transportation would be taking over all VEX transportation and bringing in their own shuttles and employees. Why this new company? Was it having to do with cost or were there other reasons? We don't know if it's because of cost because the university didn't include that in their release. However, in discussions with some VEX workers, many of them mentioned that they knew the new transportation company pretty well. And the new transportation company has spent the last couple of weeks raising um, funds to buy new buses. So the new transportation company in the past year and a half has gone through a lot of transformations they've bought new buses, they've established Wi-Fi on most of their buses, and the current VEX workers said that many of International Limousine's buses are really outdated. Many VEX workers at International Limousine Service said that they have reported these damages to officials at the company and no changes have been made. They suspect the decision to change companies is largely because international services is really outdated, as well as international has lost a few top officials throughout the year, which has made the transition really hard, which is why international lost the contract with GW, which is one of their biggest contracts. And you were actually able to speak to some of the workers who work on the VEX currently. What do they have to say about this? Yeah, I was. So generally, many of the workers are largely confused about what's going to happen to their jobs once the new company takes over in July. Officially, very little has been told to them about whether they'll be able to continue working with International Limousine Company, whether that's being moved to a different route or having to reduce their uh, hours. But again, largely, they haven't been told anything about what will happen during this transition. When speaking with many of them, they said that if they lose their contract um, with International Limousine Company, many of them plan on applying to work for the new transportation company because they've spent years learning GW's routes. They really love the energy and the vibe from the students. But again, many of them were concerned because no, nothing official has come from top administrators in the International Limousine office about what's going to happen to them when, they, when the contract with GW terminates in July. The university hasn't given them any guarantee that they'll have a job. The university hasn't given them any guarantee that they'll have a job, and I believe that's largely because they are employed through International Limousine Service, and GW hires the service, not the employees. What have the workers encountered when they've inquired about the status or the future of their jobs? 
So I actually spoke with one VEX driver who said that he saw a sign in International Limousine Services lunchroom three weeks back saying that the contract was ending with GW. Many of the VEX workers that I spoke with had also either seen that sign or heard about the contract ending through fellow drivers. So again, nothing really official has come from any top administrators in the company. However, when this one VEX driver who saw the sign three weeks ago has been reaching out to people in the office, he's largely gotten no answer. Basically, the response that he's gotten was, we don't know, we'll see what happens then, meaning we'll see what happens when the contract expires. Um, Also included in the press release by the university, Alicia Knight, who's the Senior Associate Vice President for Operations here at GW, said that International Limousine Service would work with the new transportation company in order to provide a seamless transition between the two, so nothing would go wrong when the new company would take over and start working in July. However, when I spoke with one supervisor of the current VEX company, she said that she hadn't even met anyone from the new transportation company and hasn't heard anything from International or the new company about working on this transition. And she said that because she's the supervisor, she largely gets most of the information before her drivers do because it's her job to communicate between the company and her drivers. And she said she hasn't heard any new information about this or any information about what's going to happen to all of her drivers once the contract expires. What are the major concerns here for the drivers? What are they most worried about? So again, the major concern is what's going to happen to my job? Am I still going to have it when the contract with GW ends? Quite a few VEX workers said that they hoped that International Limousine would consider the fact that they had worked for them for many years um, and worked for GW doing this route for many years and that they would assign them to a different route. However, many of them knew that that's not always the reality because International hasn't told them anything about whether this would happen or not. When speaking with one VEX worker who has worked for the company as well as at GW for less than a year, they told me that they were concerned about being able to feed their family and their loved ones as well as their fellow drivers and supervisors' abilities to feed their loved ones if they were terminated when the contract finished with International in July. I spoke with this supervisor and their voice has been altered to protect their privacy. My main concern is for the people who drive and supervise their livelihoods. And without the contract, where are they going to go? Or what? how many hours will they be able to clock in a week to feed their families and ensure that their needs are taken care of? Like, ideally, Everyone would have a large savings account and they're prepared for things that may come along such as this, but in reality, that's not how life works. One supervisor who I spoke with said that she was worried that if she got terminated that she wouldn't be able to clock in enough hours in the week to feed her children. Well, thanks for coming on this week, Lizzie, and telling us what's happening with the VEX contract. Thanks so much for having me. Stay tuned for further developments with this story. Meredith, you have a story this week about a new bond that the university is issuing. Yeah, the university issued a bond last month for $795 million. 
And what that's going toward is mostly refinancing, but also 100 million of those dollars are going towards construction projects like Thurston Hall, and then there's possibly going to be a new residence hall on 20th and 8th Street that they're looking into building. And $150 million of that bond is going into academic priorities, which the university has not been clear on what those are. Basically, what a bond is, is the university borrowed a certain amount of money, and they agreed to pay it back by the year 2048, with certain payments made over those these years and with certain amount of interest paid on it. And is this considered a smart move in terms of refinancing a university's debt? Can that actually make an impact? Essentially, what I heard from experts is that interest rates have been going up, so people are expecting interest rates to continue that trend, and that's why it's a good reason to try to refinance now. Refinancing is when the university trades some of their bonds that are at a higher interest rate for bond with a lower interest rate and potentially a longer maturity. And what that means, a maturity, is how long it takes the university to pay the money back. This is Michael Volna, the Associate Vice President and Assistant Chief Financial Officer for the University of Minnesota, and he's talking about refinancing. Any debt that your institution takes out has to be paid back, and so it is It is really important that anytime uh, an institution issues debt, they have a very clear strategy for how they're going to pay it back. And things like dormitories, parking, um, auxiliaries, uh, or or uh, uh, real estate or retail strategies like what you basically explained are all very common and uh, uh, expe- uh, frankly expected uh, strategies that you would want to use um, to pay back that debt. Um, and so that's actually a better deal for the university because then they're not having to pay as much money on the bonds if they refinance it, and then they get a longer time to pay it back. What about the projects involving residence halls? Is this something that's been talked about recently? Is this something that they've been hoping to do? University President Thomas LeBlanc has been talking about renovating Thurston Hall for a long time. He said in a faculty senate meeting earlier this semester that that was something that he was looking to do. He never had any kind of timeline, but now he's finally come out and saying we're going to invest the money in that. As it stands, the university already has a pretty significant debt on their hands. How is this going to impact that? Basically from the experts that I spoke to, they said that $1.7 billion, which is our current debt, that's a lot of debt, but it's not going to hugely impact the university just adding another $200 million. The Moody's, which is a financial rating agency, rated the university A1, which is a pretty medium kind of rating. So and the outlook is positive. So that means that the university is looking pretty financially stable, at least according to this rating agency. What experts said was basically refinancing the debt is a good move for the university because it helps save them money in the long term. They said that adding the debt, like part of it's going towards financing, but part of it's going towards these other academic things. And they may just be deciding to reprioritize those things rather than prioritizing like paying off their debt and the university said that in the press original press release they said we are taking on around 200 million dollars in additional debt but we are going to balance that out with revenue streams from real estate holdings and residence hall revenues what are the major risks with doing this if there was any kind of change in enrollment numbers that would definitely impact the university financially but nothing 
there's no kind of risk associated with straight away doing this. If interest rates get lower instead of higher, like is expected, then the university could have gotten a better deal if they had waited to refinance their loans, but that's not something that you can exactly predict. How is this bond going to affect certain academic priorities of the university? In the original press release, the university said that there would be $150 million going towards academic priorities, but they never specified what those were, and it's really kind of up in the air. The experts that I talked to said, you know, there's no way that they could know. It's really, it could be anything. Can you walk me through the history of the university's debt? It's a long history. They have one point seven billion dollars in debt now. Most notably in recent years, the university took on uh, around 275 million dollars in debt to build the science and engineering hall and that was a big deal at the time because they were expecting to fund it with cash from donors and then it ended up they started funding it with the square 80 property um, revenues from that and they have made payments over the years on the debt and that's been Uh, kind of a big focus. There was a repayment plan debuted by former executive vice president and treasurer Lukacs that kind of scheduled out when these debts were going to be paid off. And the most recent one was around $160 million in debt paid off last fall. But there has been no word on kind of when that next repayment plan is going to be or when, if this changes that schedule at all. And another example of something that kind of put the university in a financially unstable place was a couple of years ago, the graduate enrollment did not reach projections and that's a big source of income for the university. And so they actually were in a deficit that year, but they have kind of been coming off of that. They've been making debt payments, and then they've also ended fiscal year 2017 with a $100 million surplus, which is the first surplus they've had in a few years. How is the university going to be keeping us updated on the progress of the bond? That is a good question. The university typically announces at kind of faculty senate meetings when they make payments on it. And I would assume that they're going to be making announcements as with the progress of Thurston Hall renovations and the other residence hall projects. They haven't set any kind of timeline for this at all, just that these priorities are what is going to be funded. Thanks for telling us about this new bond, Meredith, and be sure to keep us updated as the university makes more progress on this. Yeah, will do, Leah. I'm here with our sports editor, Matt Cullen, who's here to tell us about the baseball team. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me, Leah. Tell me, how is the baseball team doing this season? They're doing well. Early in the season, they lost a few games down in Florida, but lately when they've been back home and against some conference opponents, they've been winning more and scoring a lot of runs. Out of the past 13 games, they've won 12, which is their best record through 13 games out of the past 14 years. And mostly they're doing that by offensively scoring a lot of runs and hitting with power so that their pitchers don't have to hold the other teams to too low of scores to get the win. How does this year's team compare to last year's? Last year's team was driven by a lot of seniors, especially in the lineup. And this year's team has relies a lot more on their newcomers and new faces of the starting lineup. So at the top of the order, Isaiah Pasteur and Steve Barmakian have been hitting very well for GW. Isaiah has been the A-10 player of the week the past two weeks in a row. And Steve, although he was on the team last year, didn't play a central role. But this year, he's been hitting the two-hole and playing right field and been a consistent batter for GW. Transfer Dominic D'Alessandro and freshman Colin Brophy 
Uh, both have also added reliable bats to the lineup as new faces, and that has really allowed GW to be able to hit one through nine and collect runs. In the first game that GW played against North Carolina Central Friday, they were tied after three innings, and then in the fourth, they scored five. And they've been doing that a lot, having um, you know high-scoring innings where a lot the entire lineup is able to hit, and that's really you know built up runs and games and led them to large wins. How was the team's game Sunday? So they defeated uh, North Carolina Central to sweep the Eagles in the series. They defeated them 19-7. to And that was after allowing North Carolina Central to hit a home run in the first inning. Nathan Woods got the start, and he ended up only lasting an inning and two-thirds. But the offense really backed him up and saved GW from sacrificing the loss. They scored nine runs in the first inning, two in the second, four in the third. Eight of the nine GW batters got a hit. And they really out-hit um, the Eagles on the game and kind of continued the streak they're having of offensive success. Where does the team sit in the A-10? Right now, GW is sitting second in the A-10 with a 5-1 record. They still have plenty of conference games left to play, but so far, um, after being projected to finish sixth in the conference, they've been outplaying their expectations. Right now, they're on pace for to finish with 33 total wins, which is two more than last year's total, which they finished in fourth place and two less than the first place VCU from last year. Offensively, GW leads the A-10 in hits, runs, batting average, and slugging percentage. They've been the best offense in the conference so far this season. It sounds like the team has had a pretty successful season so far. Can you tell us anything about the future of the team? On Wednesday, they go to UMBC to play a midweek game on the road, but then they return for an A-10 series against Richmond on the weekend. Richmond is currently 3-3 three and three in the conference and 17-13 overall, so they're also playing pretty well. They don't have the offense that GW has, but defensively their pitching is slightly better than GW has. Um, last year, when the two teams faced off, the Colonials beat Richmond 2-1 to in the series. With 24 games left on the schedule, there's still a lot of baseball left to play, but talking to some of the guys earlier in the season, I know they're excited to host the tournament, which they have in the past couple years and try to get a good seed so that especially the seniors they're looking to if they could get a couple wins or even win the tournament at home that would be like the biggest goal in their college career thanks for coming on this week matt to tell us about gw's baseball team thanks for having me that's all for this week thanks for joining us on getting to the bottom of it getting to the bottom of it is hosted by news editors meredith roten and leah potter and features culture editor matt dines this podcast is produced by assistant video editor Ariana Dunham, assistant copy editor Emma Tyrell, and managing editor Tyler Loveless. And music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Lizzie Mintz and Matt Cullen for joining us. See you next week.